Oh man, Exodus chapter three, let's open up the word of God. Dive into more of what God is doing in this amazing book um, and just what he's teaching. And in Exodus chapter three, I think we see a teaching that is so applicable, that is life um, applicable for us today. It's, it's remarkable to think about that it was written thousands of years ago. And so here again, Moses, he's gone to Midian. You've seen that map. We know what happens. A messenger of the Lord, an angel comes to him. Now, go ahead and know this. Um, there's a lot of people, this is Jesus pre-incarnate. Um, I would agree with that, but it's more than just Jesus. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's called Trinity. It's, they're, they're coming together. We see it in the book of Genesis. We see it multiple times, also in the book of Judges. Um, and so here comes God speaking, right? The Lord is speaking out of this bush and calling out to him. Um, now, as we dive into Exodus chapter 3, I want you to notice this. Verse 4. Verse 3 says, Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. Why? Why, why what? The bush was not burning up. So I, it kind of conveys this idea that maybe Moses wouldn't have turned aside if it was just a burning bush. But we know from what I just mentioned earlier, he, he turned aside partly because, one, God was speaking out of it. But also the bush wasn't burning up. Knowing that the bush wasn't burning up, he turns over and looks at it, and yet then it says God. It says, when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see. When Moses, this is another way to think about it, and this, might, this is one of those life application things for us. When Moses gave the attention to God that he needed, How often do we not give God the attention that he needs? And yet when God actually saw that Moses was giving him the attention that he needed, he then says in verse 4, he says, so he sees that he turned aside to see. And so God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said. Here I am. <laughs> Maybe one of the things that we just need to go ahead and, and recognize is that God... God's word doesn't touch our heart the way it might because we don't give the attention to it that we need to. That we go, oh yeah, it's great, it's wonderful, oh God's super, he's going to be speaking, but we just kind of acknowledge it and then we move on rather than saying, wait a second here, I need to stop, I need to give it the appropriate attention, I need to focus in on what God might be wanting to teach and to say and to do in this moment. And so we need to give attention to God. I hope that today, that you've been prepared to give attention to God that he is worthy of. To give enough attention to God, as we continue in this, it tells us that, that, Moses, uh, that God said to him, Do not come near. Take off your sandals. Right For the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Two of the things that we see most frequent that are a sign of humility are kneeling before God and also taking off your shoes. Two practices that we're not all that familiar with anymore as a society because we're not about showing humility toward anything other than making sure that we get attention for ourselves. And so there's too few people who kneel before God and there are too few who recognize that if God is present at all, we're unworthy of it. We should be hiding our face because we can't even imagine what it's going to be like to see the fullness of God. So he calls out and says, take off your sandals and he says, I am, the, I am the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? Remember, it was Jacob who took with 70 people into Egypt for the very first time. We find that in the book of Genesis. And so then the 400-year period goes, and now there's so many more. 
especially with the life of Joseph and all that was happening there in Egypt. So Moses hid his face. I think the big question I automatically ask is, what's God trying to get your attention for? Are you showing him the humility you need to show him? So here, all of a sudden, what we see in verse 7 and following, it says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. He calls us out, letting him know who he really is. Now, let me go ahead and I want to make sure you understand this too. The next several verses, what you're about to see happening with God is it should be a hype session. So Moses, 40 years, chapter 1 is 40 years. Chapter 2 is another 40 years. He's in the wilderness. He knows the people are being oppressed. And now the Lord comes to him and says, guess what? I'm about to deliver all the people out of oppression. You would think that's going to be like, oh, this is going to get good. Right? So just pay attention to it because he says, listen, here's God speaking. The Lord says, I've seen the affliction of my people. Now this, part of the reason that this is going to be good because he's going, to let them, he's going to let him know exactly what he's going to do. Listen, I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out to a good and a broad land. A land, it tells us in verse 8 and 9, verse 8, it says, it's a land that is flowing with milk and honey. This is getting better. They're going to be delivered out of captivity, out of slavery, out of oppression. And not only are they going to be delivered, these are millions of people, but they're going to come to a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes and please. Like, that's amazing. It is going to be good. It's going to be amazing. It says, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I've seen their oppression. I'm going to send you. Now, 7, 8, 9, he lets Moses know, I'm going to do all this really cool stuff. It's going to be awesome. And then just in verse 10, oh, and come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you'll bring my people, the children of Egypt, out of Egypt. What part does Moses get stuck on? Is it 7, 8, 9? No. Is it all the cool things God's going to do? No. It's verse 10. Oh, and I'm going to use you to go back and tell Pharaoh to deliver my people. And it's going to be cool. Moses then says, verse 11, here's his first response. Like, wow, this is, it's not, this is going to be great. This is fantastic. Let's go. Here's what he says. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel or out of Egypt? Hey, who am I to be a part of that? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And then so God says to him, I'm going to be with you. All you need of God to be used by God is the presence of God. Nothing else. And sometimes we're so concerned with our own well-being and how can we be used and we're so concerned with our own inability. Trust me, I know what it is to have doubts about what our own abilities can be, what my abilities are. And sometimes I'm like, God, I'm not worthy of this. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to do with this. And God has simply told me over and over in life, Joel, shut your pie hole. He says it just like that. Just listen to me. All you have to do is be available. I'll take care of the rest. Let me use you. It's not what your capabilities are. It's what my capabilities are. And I can form nothing into something. I got you. But yet we live in this this 
this age of where we're so concerned about what our abilities are. That's what this whole self-centered Western culture does. It's all about you, all about you, all about you. Well, guess what? All of you, you're only capable of this much. All we're doing is cheapening life by making it about what you can accomplish. But if you make it about what God can do through you, then it's like, yeah. Because here's a guy who's been in the wilderness for 40 years, who's all of a sudden starting to understand and see that God's wanting to do more, but he's so reluctant and he's so fearful. God says to him, though, I'm going to be with you. This is going to be a sign. And you're going to even serve God on this mountain later. So the very place he is now, he's letting them know, man, you're going to come back here one day. Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, what shall I say to them? And God says to them, say, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also says to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This name is important for us. The, The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. And what he's conveying and even saying, I am who I am, is he's letting them know, listen, I, I am the same God who was, is, and is to come. He's reminding them of his authority. It's more of a covenant name. He's letting them know, listen, I don't change. I am all sufficient. Supremacy. I am the one true God, the one true king. And he's, letting, he's reminding him of this very thing. And he's making sure he's kind of resting in this. Like, hey, focus, man. Like, don't you know that I've prepared you perfectly? You don't think that I can use you to deliver the people. But guess what God did? He prepared Moses perfectly for the first 40 years of his life. Chapter 1, he lets him know what it is to live in Pharaoh's presence. Even though this is a new Pharaoh that he's going to have to go visit, he's letting him know in the first 40 years what it is to be able to have that in his life. Second 40 years, hey, go live in the desert. So that why? Later on, he can journey with the people of Israel through the desert. Sometimes you don't think that God is preparing you because you measure God's faithfulness by whether or not you're comfortable. But being a Christian is not about being comfortable. It's about being submissive to God and allowing him to use you even when it is uncomfortable. Amen? See, I think one of the reasons that Moses continually struggled, and he, was, he allowed God to use him. Moses, amazing hero of faith, right? Hebrews 11, we read them again. and Just amazing. But I think one of the reasons he always struggled is because he focused on what it would mean for him rather than what it would do for God. Are you so focused on your own well-being that sometimes you don't give the attention to God needed to be able to be obedient to his voice when God may be calling you to do something so much more spectacular. Moses was focused on what he believed he could accomplish rather than what God could accomplish through him. What a vast difference. Moses, he doesn't see himself as part of the solution for the oppression of the people. So he says, who should I go? He doesn't recognize that difficulties don't define God's presence. 
Simply because things are hard doesn't mean God isn't present. In fact, it's usually in the midst of hard and in the midst of persecution, in the midst of oppression, that we best get to represent God. For people to see the difference, it's easy to say, oh, I love God when everything's going great. But it shows your perseverance, it shows your love, your trust in him when you're willing to do it in the midst of difficulty. God's presence always accompanies his call. And Moses forgot that. And all we need, once again, is for God's presence. That's all we need. And God's presence always accompanies his call. We have to remember this. Because we're missing out on God's work of redemption in the world if we say we can't do something simply because of fear or inability. It has nothing to do with your qualifications. It has to do with what God is capable of doing through you. And so we sit in this. then lets us know in this very time it says listen you need to know who I really am he tells them in verse 16 and following he says this is what I want you to do I want you to go and gather the elders of Israel and I want you to say to them the Lord now I want you to notice that Lord L-O-R-D all capitals is that what you have in the Bible yes If not, you have a poor translation. I'll help you out with that. There's two different things. So you you often see, and we speak about this frequently here because you need to know the difference because it can be confusing. You can see the Lord, L-O-R-D, and only the L is capitalized. That's just speaking more broadly and generally of the Lord. If you see all all the letters capitalized, L-O-R and D, what that's referring to is that's the covenantal name, Yahweh of God. Wow. So when he declares this, when he calls this out to the people because he's receiving instruction and it's the Lord, not the Lord, then all of a sudden say, oh, you better give attention to this. This is the God of the covenant. This is the, the God who always keeps his promise. So pay attention. He says, the Lord, tell them the Lord, the God of your fathers of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has appeared to me. He's observed all that's happened. He's going to bring us out of the affliction of Egypt and the land. And they will listen to your voice. They will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go up for three days journey. He's supposed to go to Pharaoh and tell him, hey, let my people go for three, for three days. They need to take a journey into the wilderness that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And verse 19 and 20 then throws a little wrench in things. It says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Now this is is something that I think we have to deal with. Here's God saying, hey Moses, I want you to go be used to deliver the people of of Israel out of Egypt. But then God has to say things like this. Hey, but I know it's going to be really hard and Pharaoh's not going to want to do it unless I compel him to. Well, how are you going to do that? Like I would have so many questions from God. I'd be looking at a burning bush from afar, trying to hide my face with no sandals on, going, this doesn't make any sense to me, God. Anybody else be in that position? Like, how is all this going to happen? And he tells them, listen, it's going to be hard unless compelled by a mighty hand. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all kinds of wonders that I will do in it. And then after that, he'll let you go. What kind of wonders? What's this mean? For 40 years, I've been in the desert. 
You don't understand. Last time I left Egypt, the Pharaoh, the previous Pharaoh, was wanting to kill me. Do you see how fear could have been a problem with Moses and wanting to do what God was asking him to do? But he's being asked to trust God. Maybe we need to take a test. Like, where on the scale are we in terms of trusting God? What does that even look like? Because trusting God, this is something we've got to understand. Trusting God is not an event, but a lifestyle encompassed by a heart surrendered to God. That's what we have to understand. Trusting God, sometimes what we want to do is say, hey, I trust God in a moment. I trust God with this, or I trust God with my kid. I trust God with my finances in this moment. I trust God, I'm without a job, so I trust God to get me a new job. And we trust God in a moment, but trusting God is not just in a moment. Trusting God is encompassed by a life that's willing to be completely surrendered, submitted and a sacrificial posture to God. And so it's a continual trust. It's not in an event. It's in everything. And we can struggle with that because we always internalize things and we make things about self. What's this going to mean for my own safety? What's this going to mean in terms of what can I get for me? It's because we don't actually trust God. I truly believe in the, next, in the coming years, I am praying for revival, and I think we'll have one. But I think part of that revival will be millions of people who claim to know Christ stepping away from Christ in the United States of America. Because we don't actually trust. And so when things get a little difficult, we're going to go, oh, nope, not in. Hey, I'm going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I'm going to use you to do it. I don't know about this one. Like, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to make it hard until I do mighty wonders and mighty things. Can I know what those things are maybe? Like, he, he kept struggling. He kept resisting. He kept pushing back. Friends, we, we don't even really know what it is to sacrifice for Christ. And here's God speaking to Moses, like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do amazing things. But he, he, Moses kept struggling with really trusting God. And if God says, go and jump, what do we, we just say, how high, and I'll do it. That's what a mature believer does, right? But yet we don't see that here. It's a constant questioning. It's a constant having to build him up. I'm saying, listen, no, listen to me. I promise you, I'm going to deliver them out of the affliction. Don't worry about it. They're going to listen to your voice. Tell them that you need to go on a three-day journey. Now, the king's not going to want to let you go. It's going to be kind of hard, but I'm going to compel them. He even tells them, listen, I'm going to give you, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that when you go, every woman is going to go to their neighbor and, and, want, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and clothing, you're going to take them for your sons and your daughters and you're going to plunder the Egyptians. It's not stealing. What it is is after all the years of slavery, now God is actually going to bless his people with the very items that once belonged to the Egyptians that they will then use later for their own good good and also to give praise and glory to God. And this is what we see happening in Exodus chapter 3. 
But there's this continual moment, there's this, this continual thing of struggling to trust God. Are you fully trusting in God or just trusting him in one thing specifically? God knew it would take a move of the heart for Pharaoh. He promises to bring that. He says, I'm going to bring the people favor. This is, this is such an important chapter because what's happening is very simple. God steps in and says, Moses, here's the call that I have in your life. For these 40 years living with Pharaoh, I was preparing you. For the next 40 years in the wilderness, I'm preparing you. And so now God has this huge call on his life. What is God's call on your life? That's a, that's a question you can go talk about, right? What's God's call in your life? And what I'm telling you is too often the call that we think God has on our life is too small because we determine it by what we think our capabilities are. It's not determined by your capabilities. It's determined on your willingness to let God use you. And so we go, well, that, but God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. I need to be safe. I need to be comfortable. I need to make sure that everything is going to go as planned. Friends, your life, if you claim to know Jesus, is no longer your life. Period. And some of us, let's be honest, we're not okay with that. We're not. You ever seen a, there's an older movie out there, The Patriot? Anybody seen that before? Go watch it, but without your children. Um, cool movie. Um, Civil War, all this stuff's breaking out in America. And you got some guys who are, some of the soldiers are running to take the field. And then they see all the people, on the, all the British on the other side. And you see them turn around and start running the other direction. They see the difficulty that's to come and they turn around. I think that's most people in the church today in America, honestly. They tuck tail. Because they struggle to trust God. What is God's call on your life? I mean, that's the, the struggle that we're seeing right now so much in life and all the, the, the struggles that we're having. Friends, we need to know that if we are brothers and sisters in Christ... That God has given us a holy task. If you claim to know Christ, God has given us collectively together a holy task with one another. I mean, my job, one of my kids asked me recently, Dad, what's your real job? Like, I know you talk a lot. I'm like, oh, come on, man. I said, honestly, it's to make sure that the people, to, it's with a bunch of awesome other people, lay leaders and paid leaders to, to equip the saints to be ready to battle for Jesus, to submit to him no matter what. It's kind of my job. Here's the struggle is that we live in a, an environment, we live in a culture in which our faith for decades has been defined by a cultural experience rather than a personal experience recognizing the need of a savior. 
And if our faith has been built on a cultural experience, right, there used to be, there used to be a large societal benefit to going to church. That's a, that's a cultural part, a cultural experience. So when it's built on a cultural experience, what happens is when the culture changes, so does your understanding of God. Rather than being built on the understanding that we're all broken, that we're all sinners, that we're in need of redemption. And yes, when we know that we have been redeemed from something so horrific such as sin, any sin in our life, we are eager to be ruled by an eternal God. And so as a result, there's a great chasm in what God is asking of us and then what we've actually made of the church. Now let me go ahead and also tell you this. If you claim to love Jesus, you'd better love his bride. There are too many people who are saying, well, the church is messed up. The church is messed up. Why? Because it's full of people like you and me. But the church is the bride of Christ. Come, come at me. like I'm, I know I'm a small guy, but come at me right, and tell me that, hey, man, I like you. You're fine, but I don't like your, your spouse at all. Right? Like, who's not going to bow up on that a little bit? And so here, all of a sudden, what we do is we live in this society in which everything, even our faith, has been built on a cultural experience. Rather than this need of a Savior, we have cheapened knowing Jesus Christ, what it is to know God. We have cheapened what it is to to be called by God to something greater. What is God? Everybody, please today answer that question. What is God calling you to? Figure it out. So I want to give you just a few, a few ideas of what I think God could be calling you to. I have some things for you to think about right here. One, I think God's calling all of us to fast and pray. We, in this church, we have fasting guides, but to spend time concentrating on God himself. It is such a struggle for many people to focus on nothing but God. Learn the discipline. Now, does it take discipline? It does. But learn the discipline of what it is to fast and to pray and to call out to God. Do it with friends, do it with family. Second thing is to serve. You can do that here in this place without a doubt, right? We have Leif Anderson just started as a new facilities director and we got woods to clear and we got building to maintain. I mean, honestly, I'd, be, I'd love one day, we just have one guy and everything is cleaned by a bunch of volunteers, right? Isn't that the way to do it? I, that, all, that, all that means to me is more money to help secret pastors in other countries that we're already supporting to raise up more than we'll pay their salary because they're going to go to prison if they're caught. We'll just raise up more people and keep sending them out. So maybe serving. I think serving is also one of the most beautiful ways to try to mimic Christ as he served us out of humility. What's God calling you to? Maybe he's calling you to sacrifice a current comfort. We know that, I believe that Moses, the longer you've been doing anything, the harder it is to break routine. He's been watching the sheep for how many years was he doing that? 40 years. It's kind of hard to break a pattern when you've been doing something for 40 years. Right? Some of you, if you don't eat the same breakfast every morning for cereal, your week is just screwed up. Anybody like that? Anybody have a spouse like that? Now I have hands. Right? It's like, wait a second here. 
It's hard to break routine. So maybe we begin by sacrificing a current comfort, whatever that might be. Maybe it's, it's recognizing that it's a food for you in your life that you keep running to, and that's where you actually find comfort rather than in Christ. Maybe it's exercise or shopping or money or protecting your me time. Don't get me going on me time. We need private time with God. But you gave up everything, including your time, your calendar, your money, and everything else, when you said yes to Jesus. Maybe it's God's calling you to join the movement of CP. We often speak here about the fact that we need partners. We don't need customers. Too many people in and out, like, oh, yeah, I'll get it. It's where I'll go, where I want to go, and okay, it'll be cool. We need partners to stand linked arm to arm, hand to hand, to represent Jesus no matter what. Because I believe it's going to get more difficult. I believe many people are going, read the Equality Act that they're trying to push out. Where they're going to force you to do certain things and they're going to remove certain things from the church and they're going to say, if you speak about Jesus, you're automatically fired. And yet, if we aren't willing to lose a job for Jesus, we certainly don't know all that Jesus has done for us because this is temporary. He's eternal. We got you. Let's represent Jesus. But we got too few people who are willing to truly stand on that wall. Are we ready to stand on a wall knowing that we will not come down because it is a wall that God, that Christ has built? What is God calling you to? Maybe it's joining that movement of CP, meaning, yes, we're going to be launching some sites. Interviewing a guy right now about being a site pastor and joining us in that effort and that movement. That means that maybe you're willing to drive and to go be a part of that for at least a couple of years. You're going to get a letter about that very soon. Maybe it's starting to tithe. I always am blown away that the average Christian gives less money now percentage-wise than we did in the Great Depression. That always has amazed me. Why? Because we want more for ourselves. We have more in our generation than ever before in this current generation, and yet we give less back than ever before. Process that. Maybe it's joining the movement here at CP, and that means maybe God's calling you to go overseas. We want to help you. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. We're going to be having all types of leadership classes here that's really just saying, helping you explore the call of God and then to actually live it out. No matter what it is. Part of that movement, maybe you know what we're really trying to do is partner with other churches that may be hurting. And so maybe you know of a church that's hurting and say, hey, would you be willing to maybe join the that the movement that's happening at Chapel Point. Go to them, talk to them. I, I just hear it in the best way possible. I don't have time to play nice anymore. Too many people need to know Jesus. Too many people need to know Jesus. This is not a game. What is God calling you to? Maybe it's just he's calling you to start inviting some people who need to know more of Jesus or just to know him, period. What is God calling you to? And remember, it's not based on your ability. It's simply based on your willingness to be used by God. We'll get into that more. Remember Moses, though, next week we'll jump into this. Moses is like, I don't speak very well. Remember, I'm the guy speech therapy for four years. 
right? I did the happy, I learned the happy dance when I learned after two years how to say the word squirrel. Didn't hear, didn't say a word that could be understood till I was six. It's not about your ability. It's about God's capability to use a broken person to declare his goodness, amen? God's calling you to more. God's calling you to more. And when you think he's saying no to something, go to the wilderness. It's actually maybe God preparing you for the greatness of who he is. Lord, I come before you and I ask that you allow us to more fully know what you are calling us to. Thank you for the example of Moses. I know he struggled with it, but he still was willing to go and still willing to do, even though he constantly questioned. So thank you for the example. But may we also learn, may we be more quick to say yes to you, to be willing to to allow you to move us and to shape us and to grow us in any way you need to. God, we are your children. We promise God to make more of Jesus and less of ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.